Okay, welcome to episode three of From the Resort Podcast. This is a new podcast where we're finding out about uh, all the people's stories in the uh, Queenstown Lakes District area. Uh, A few days ago we had uh, Mayor Jim Bolt on and that uh, episode is now up. Uh, Now today we've got uh, Martin Heifetz from the mountain scene. Uh, Martin's been working for the mountain scene for the last couple of years as the advertising manager. Correct. So thanks you very much for coming along on the podcast and we'll look forward to hearing a bit about your story today, Martin. Um, so I guess where we like to start, Martin, is uh, I guess where did you grow up? Where were you born? Where did you live early life and what was that like? Yeah, I'm from New York and um, I'm from the New York area in the United States and then I lived there until I was, I guess, about 30 and then I moved to London. I was there for um, 17 years and in, this, in a story similar to your wife's that she was just telling me, I went to London for a year and ended up, ended up staying 17 years, got married, had three kids, bought a house and, and then uh, loved my life in London until it stopped working um, and you know, the economic circumstances so changed. So sort of you go back a bit further, so yeah. when you started off in New York, tell us about those early years, what did you sort of get up to as a kid? and? Um, what 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 did you get into? That would ruin my professional career now. <laughs> um, no, I mean I was I suppose I was just an average kid. I mean I was an only you know only child and grew up in in suburban New York and then suburban Connecticut and um, yeah I mean it's just nothing nothing remarkable about my childhood really. Um, yeah, I, I, I suppose it was just an average kid, really. I wasn't. What sort of, uh, I guess, sports were you into? Were you into any sports growing up? I was not particularly good at, at any sport. I mean, I've always enjoyed being active, um, always enjoyed being outside, always being active, but I was not particularly good at, at team sports. My eye hand coordination isn't particularly good. I can't see a damn thing. So it's difficult for me with, with ball sports. But I mean, the things that I've always enjoyed doing throughout my entire life are things that I'm still doing now, like cycling, uh, skiing, and and those just sort of outdoor activities. So yeah, um, hiking, being with my dog, mm. you know. Okay, so going back, so what can you remember what your first job was when you're sort of uh, in sort of high school? That's funny that you asked that question because my first job is now the job that I'm doing right now. I used to be on the advertising side of my high school newspaper, worked in my high school radio station. I started off as a DJ at my high school radio station. And then I ended up being um, the program director and then the finance director of my high school radio station. So I've been selling advertising space since I was, I don't know, 16 years old. And so now I'm 54 and I've been doing it for a long time. And and I started out at my high school newspaper or my local community newspaper. And now um, I'm back in my local community newspaper and had some bigger jobs in between, but um, yeah, I'm kind of very much back where I started from and enjoying it very much. It's great that you can enjoy something so much that, uh, you know, that you're still, you know, you're sort of doing a lot of in that role as a 16 year old, Um, Mm. you know, obviously different part of the world, um, you know, some different stuff going on, but ultimately the other day, radio, running your own radio show, that's, that's always an interesting story in itself and it does take a lot of um, you know, skill skills to be able to manage the whole process and and get get things going, doesn't it? It does. And I was, um, I suppose, I was really rather shy as a teenager because um, you know, you asked me a question about 
high school sports. I mean, I wasn't, you know, I wasn't the high school jock that, you know, gives you great confidence. And I, I had moved midway through high school, so I didn't have the, you know, a huge network of friends. So between not being the jock, the popular jock, and then not and not having a long history in a, in a town, um, the radio was a good way just for me to sort of make a name for myself, and and it helped me overcome my shyness actually. Yeah, there's lots of different ways you can sort of get out of. I mean, you, you grow up a certain way. You might be introverted to a degree, but there there, there are certain ways you can you know, certain ways you can sort of go about your life in order to, to get more confidence and to get, um, you know, you know, I guess the networking going, mm. getting out there more and, uh, and thriving in your jobs and, and being able to, to do it really well. So that, that's quite interesting. And I'm sure those sort of skills you've developed, you know, over, over time as well. Yeah, you know, it, it is an interesting question. And, and believe it or not, I'm actually rather introverted. You wouldn't, yeah. I mean, I, I come across as extroverted, just simply because that's what I do professionally, but mm. on the weekends or in my spare time, I do spend all my time by myself. Yeah. I, you know, so cycling, out with my dog, on my kayak, fishing. I mean, I don't necessarily seek a lot of human interaction on a personal level because I get so much on a professional level. And, mm. um, but, and I suppose I'm still much more, I'm more confident in a business mm situation than I am in a social situation. Mm. I'm not necessarily that socially confident. Business-wise, I'm, I'm confident. Interesting. So I guess going back in time, what sort of prompted the move uh, at the time to go from Connecticut, uh, New York, across to the UK for, I think you said 16 or 17 years you were there? Yeah, that's right. I was, um, I was, working, um, I was working for a business-to-business publisher in the late 19, mid to late 1990s, and my boss at that business-to-business publisher moved over to Playboy magazine, of all places, um, and she became the president of Playboy Publishing and gave me a terrific opportunity to come work for her at Playboy magazine, and Playboy is what brought me from New York to London, so I became Playboy magazine's first international employee since the 1970s, and yeah. Um, I was responsible for their international advertising, and that's what that's what brought me to London. And then um, my then she left Playboy, and my new boss at Playboy moved over to um, a health and fitness publishing company, and it took me with him. And when 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 he when he moved, and I stayed there, I ran that that international media business for fourteen years. And that was really, it was really good. I had a whole group of magazines. There were uh, t- 14 magazines at one point, uh, 14 magazines plus their websites and social media. And we had a mail order business and it was good. I had about 65 or 70 employees in seven countries. And yeah, it was quite a, quite a thriving thing until it wasn't. Yeah. <laughs> so you probably get this, ask this question when people hear a little bit about your story of sort of touching into you know doing some publishing with, with Playboy, did you ever get to meet Hugh Hefner? I did. I met Hugh Hefner at my job interview. It was I started in Playboy in 1997, and yeah, I met I met him at the Playboy at, at the after party for the Playboy Jazz Festival, which was a, an amazing event at the Hollywood Bowl. Yeah, and so it was at the Playboy Mansion. Matt Hef, 
um, mingled with the celebs, and, and that was my one experience at the Playboy Mansion with Hugh Hefner. But I worked a lot with his daughter, so his daughter was, his daughter Christy, uh, his daughter was running Playboy um, up until, oh, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know, I mean, I, I, I sort of lost touch with her, but certainly mid-2000s. Um, yeah. But I, I reported to I reported to one level below Christy, but I traveled a lot with her extensively because she was very interested in international growth, and that was where I was focusing on. So I traveled a lot with Christy and her husband. Yeah, so that's 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 quite interesting that, that whole story and being involved in that. And obviously, it's a it's a good story to tell people. Um, you know, something that sort of happened in your life where you, where you got to uh, meet the great Hugh Hefner. Um, so it's those um, magazine, the, the publishing and the magazines and that sort of stuff that you're getting involved in. Um, you said you're a little bit. How, how many did you say? Fourteen to fifteen, or I had fourteen. Fourteen. At one point. Yeah. Were they mainly fitness health magazines? Yeah, correct. All, all health and fitness. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So we were spe- the t- the titles were muscle and fitness. Yep. Uh, and then flex, which is a bodybuilding yep. title. Yeah. Um, so so you were you had to be a hardcore fitness enthusiast or a yeah. bodybuilding enthusiast to read those publications. Yeah. Now, I remember. I remember. I mean, I I remember a guy um, who was. On one of those covers of magazines, I'm sure it was one of those ones that you mentioned, um, and he he was uh, Connecticut, I believe he's Connecticut. He's a wrestler, Triple H. Yeah, Triple H. Yeah. Um, you've, you've heard of him, of course. Uh, was he on one of your magazines? Is that is that yes, right? Yes, sir. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, he was on both Muscle and Fitness and Flex a number of times. Yeah, we had a we used to do a lot with the WWE guys or well it was at first it was WWF the yeah. World Wrestling Federation and then they got into a big spat with the World Wildlife Foundation that's why they had to change it then they changed it to WWE yeah. yeah yeah so World Wrestling Entertainment but yeah we had uh, Triple H and, and a whole bunch of these guys yeah Hulk Hogan guys like The Rock maybe The Rock all the time yeah wow. yeah yeah. Did you ever get to meet any of these guys at all? I never met those guys, no. 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 Yeah, obviously the mag- they're in the magazines and stuff. So fitness magazines, um, how have you see, sort of seen that change over over your time? I guess mainly in the UK. What have you sort of noticed with how that... I mean, obviously there's still... Um, you know, it's, it's still out there. If you go to a newsagent today, they've still got the, the fitness magazines are still there. Mm. Uh, even though you see some of these magazines, um, you know, stop publishing because because they get less popular and because of things change over time and mm. you know people are going onto the internet a lot more. So what have you sort of seen when you were there? What's it, would you, was there a sort of trend to that or what? Yeah, for for the fitness magazines, but in every country it was different because so so I was headquartered in 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 the UK, but I was responsible for. The UK, France, Germany, Italy, the Netherlands, Australia, uh, Sweden at one point, Poland at one point, and all of those places have different media markets, and um, and and the way that your publications were distributed was different in each one of those markets. But but the UK was our was our biggest market, and what what killed us ultimately was regulations more than structural change in the media business. And, and by that, I mean, um, so we had, we had exactly one advertising category, and that was sports nutrition supplements. And there was um, a, a European Union health directive that came in and it, and it um, 
it just it, well it was a torpedo to our to our advertisers um they had to you had to verify every claim that you made which is you know which is fair enough um but but it killed us and and it, and it wiped us out overnight and what and what happened wiped us out from an advertising perspective and so we went from publishing 300 page magazines which you know for five pounds you, you buy it for five pounds you get a 300 page magazine it was it was a good value for the for the consumer so and we went from 300 pages to to 100 pages in in, in six months and all of a sudden you know you, as the consumer you walk up to the newsstand and you're used to getting you know a big thick magazine for, for five pounds all of a sudden you're getting a third of what you used to get it doesn't feel like the value proposition that that it used to be and and so you end up in this downward spiral print advertising is a is a funny thing like that where um, you have to be successful in print advertising in order to be more successful because if you know, if you're if you're big and you're thick people look at it and say oh well this is great and everybody you know everybody's in there and then everybody else needs to be in there and if you're thin People look at it and like, well, this is you know, this is pretty poor, and I'm not going to read it or I'm not going to advertise on it because it doesn't look like there's anything happening. So what killed us was not necessarily structural change in media, but it was the regulation that that torpedoed our advertising business. And had that regulation not changed, we would have had, you know, we certainly would have had a decline as things go digitally, but not the rapid sink that that we that we had. I mean, we were we were torpedoed. Yeah, okay. I guess it, <clears throat> the way of the world goes sometimes, isn't it? That yeah. You can't sort of, you just got to look at the, the ways going forward. It's, you know, you, uh, you got to look at different things. There's always something that's going to affect an industry. And, it, well, not every industry is going to get affected as badly as some. And um, we've seen, you know, there's lots of different examples where, you know, things things be, become sort of, you know, less less relevant I guess to, yeah. to what what's going on there um, you know people still publish books people still publish magazines less of them yes um, people it, people just have a different way I mean feeling a book in the hand is still something that a lot of a lot a lot of people grew up with so there's always going to be that um, you know I guess uh, they want to be able to sit down and, and read the book yeah, that's right. And, and they're also not distracted when they're reading the book or the magazine. You know, the book or the magazine is not beeping at them, mm-hmm. right? And it's, and it's not diverting your attention. You, you're singularly focused on it, which is, number one, very nice for the advertisers that are in there. But it's also very nice for the reader, too, mm-hmm. to be, you know, I can, I can read this newspaper. I can read this, I can read this book. I can read this magazine. And it's not asking me to do anything. I don't have to click yeah. on this. I don't have to, yeah. you know, look at the messages, notifications, whatever. So, so, so it's a nice, yeah. nice experience. So growing up, I mean, obviously you got into the, into the industry. But were you sort of a person that would go and buy magazines regularly and what type of magazines would you buy? That's an excellent question. I love magazines. I always loved magazines and I, I, was, I always felt like that was a, a great career for me because um, the interest that I had, whether it was cycling or skiing, for example, yeah. or cooking, you know, you'd have these, back in the, back in the day, in, in, in the 1980s, you had, these, you had these beautiful, lavishly produced magazines and it was a whole visual experience you know you really felt like this is something special you you know you whether you had the the magazines delivered to your home or you go to the newsstand and they were beautifully produced and beautifully photographed I mean I got into photography I got into writing I was just so 
interested in, in the craft of producing something of that visual quality. Um, and there were passion pursuits, right? I mean, I wasn't that interested in news magazines, oddly enough. I'm working, you know, despite the fact that I had a newspaper background and I work at a newspaper now, but, but the special interest publications were fabulous. You know, if you're passionate about something, that's all you want to talk about, whether it's fly fishing or mountain biking or skiing or cooking or, you know, food and wine, hiking, whatever, you know, it's really interesting to be surrounded by a bunch of other people who are also interested in reading about it, writing about it, taking pictures and so on and so forth. And so they were, you know, they were beautifully produced products, you know, and, and there were collector's items. You know, if you walked into anybody's house that was into fly fishing, you'd have these great fly fishing magazines or ski magazines or the magazines that I worked for, Muscle and Fitness and Flex. For bodybuilders, that was, you know, that was the Bible, right? Okay. And people would collect it. Playboy magazine was a collector's item also, right? And so, yeah, I mean, I, I always loved magazines. And what about Mad Magazine? Can you remember that? Remember of course that I do. They, and that, unfortunately, that just folded um, in the, within the last six, you know, since the pandemic, that yeah. was the end of it. I mean, they were, they'd been struggling for a long time, but I Medicine grew up with Mad cool. Magazine yeah, yeah. In, in my summer camps away. You know, we all used to love Mad Magazine. Yeah. They were quite funny. The old Spy vs. Spy. And, yeah. Yeah. And, um, yeah, no. Alfred E. Newman. I miss that, um, miss that, uh, being a kid, you know, being able to. And the, the, the famous illustrator whose name escapes me right now, he yeah. died this in the last year also. He died and then the pandemic hit and that was yeah. kind of the, you know, the last two remaining, um, you know, the two straws that broke the camel's back, I think. Yeah, definitely. So I guess, I guess the UK, if you want to reflect on your time in the UK, I guess, what did you sort of, obviously you must have enjoyed living there if you lived there for that amount of time. Whereabouts in the UK did you sort of um, reside? Uh, and what did you think overall, I mean, looking back in time now? I lived in London. I lived in Kensington in London, so West London. And it was, I loved it there. It was great. And I commuted to our, our the offices for our magazine company were up in a place called Harrogate in North Yorkshire. Um, and it was interesting because... Um, I used to commute there by train once every other week. And the first time I went there, I got off the train in York. And it never really dawned on me, being from New York, that there was a place that was old York. <laughs> because okay. if you're from New York, you, you know, New York is the center of the universe, right? Yeah, in in yeah. case you didn't get that memo, New York is the center yeah. of the universe. So, yeah. so um, but you get, off the, you get off the train in York, and it's this Viking city, right? With this, walls that were built in those Roman walls, Viking walls. It's a great walled city. And and it just didn't dawn on me that, you know, that was original York, old York instead of instead of New York. But um so so um Harrogate is in North Yorkshire uh and it's a beautiful garden city. It's a very sleepy, gorgeous, quintessentially English town and so I got to know North Yorkshire reasonably well and London reasonably well but in between those points I really didn't get around the UK that much I was much more interested actually in spending time in Italy and and other other European countries than I was other parts of of the UK yeah because I just I found it to be really interesting that you can get on a plane and in 45 minutes to an hour and a half You'd be in any number of other cultures, speaking other languages, eating different foods, and figure, well, 
I'd rather do that than go to someplace else in, in, in England or Wales or Scotland. Yeah, it's, I mean, that's the beauty about living in that part of the world is mm. that there's, there's, there's a lot of different nations, a lot of different uh, languages, as you said. Mm. You've got the contrast of Scandinavia with, you know, going across to France and Germany and Italy and Spain and Greece. It's, yeah. it's all within a couple of hours. And, it's, um, and then you've got the train systems right across Europe as well. Um, it's so, great. Uh, if you had a, if you, it's probably putting it on the spot here. But if you had a favourite place in all of Europe, what would it be? Um, easy. Uh, two two places: London, where I lived. I thought it was an amazing city, and the Dolomites in Italy, which is where we spent um, most of our summers and our winters. So, uh, magnificently beautiful part of the world, magnificent, and with incredible people. And um, so, so yeah, I think that that's a pretty pretty easy answer actually okay. um, and there's other you know plenty of other terrific places but I mean, that's where we chose to spend our time so when in your life was the first time that you ever visited New Zealand sort of uh, my first time here was um, 1999 with my so my wife is from Auckland yeah so we met uh, we met in London and so we met in 1998, I guess, and we were down here uh, in 1999. Yeah, end of 1999 for the turn of the century. Okay, and did you get down to the South Island at that point in time, or was that a bit later on? Uh, I visited, I took a big ticky tour of New uh, Zealand. We were here for two or three weeks. Yep. And yeah, it took a, took a reasonable tour. I stopped everywhere, including Queenstown. Yep. Um, but we were, you know, we did the quintessentially tourist thing you know we were two days everywhere so i don't you know yep. I, I don't remember what i did in queenstown in 1999 yeah yeah It'd i mean be a lot different now back then than it is now anyway yeah i mean i probably was on the shot over jet and i know i went down skippers canyon for um, you know we took a bike ride through skippers and i, I don't remember i don't even remember where i stayed i was asking my wife that a little while ago like where did we stay when we came down here and she doesn't remember either mm. but um no i don't know yeah, so um, I guess when was when did you make the decision to sort of think about moving to this part of the world from London? So you were in sort of the UK up until about um, four years ago? Was Two, it? No, six, six years, years ago, ago, yeah. Sorry. So we got here uh, midway through 2014 and it became pretty obvious to us uh, around, it was, it was in January 2014 that... This was when the legislation changed um, in the sports nutrition industry, and our, when our advertising dried up, my compensation dried up. And yep. you know, the thing with um, living in London is that it's a, it's a very expensive city. Yeah. I had two kids in private school. Um, I needed a lot of cash, and for a while, I was making a lot of cash. And then when the money stopped rolling in because the advertising stopped. Um, you know, there's only so many things you can cut back before you just, you know, eroding the very reason that you're living in a big city. And um, so we decided to pull the plug and I was away. I was I was traveling and I get this email from my wife and it just the subject was our new life. And and it showed and there were three links on it and it showed um, it was actually a link to to photo in, in Lake Wanaka actually um, but it was a picture of, a picture of something in Wanaka 
a picture of uh, a beautiful home in Wanaka, and uh, so here's here's our here's our new home, you know, with the with the link to the house. Here's here's the new area with the link to like Wanaka tourism or something, and and I forget what the third link was off off the top of my head, but and I and I took I took a look at it, and I'm sitting there in a cold, dark, rainy night in in northern England. I'm like, man, we're moving, and I, I just responded back. I'm like, I'm in, and we just so we just decided really on the spur of a moment to completely change our lives and, and move down here. And, um, you know, we started hatching a plan of how to do it um, in January. And I was down in, in, in Melbourne on business in March. And I came to Queenstown for four or five days mm. um, to take a look around to see if I really thought that I could live here. Um, and I fell in love with it again and decided that, that yeah, I mean we can do this, and I had to I had to look around at various places to live, and a look around at the schools because my kids were obviously younger at the time, uh, and and I was just like yeah, I man, we can uh, you know hit the total life reset button and let's do it, and came back and we decided you know for real I guess it was March or April, 2014. So let's let's go. We told the kids and we hatched a plan, and they moved over here in July. And I came in October 2014. Wow. So, yeah, that's, that, that's still a pretty quick process when you think about that. But it, it's obviously um, when you know, you know, sometimes and you, you, just, you just go about trying to, trying to do it as, as uh, quick as possible. Um, so then I guess your, your first work job that you sort of uh, had before you started working with, um, with uh, the press and mountain scene um, fitness media and nutrition advisors. Yeah, well, I mean that was uh, that was a consulting business that didn't really work too well. So my original plan, yep. um, <laughs> my original plan when I when I moved here was that um, I was going to continue doing my my magazine job in the UK, but from New Zealand and commute, um, you know, every other month and go back go back to the UK for three weeks and and. Um, that didn't go over too well with, with, with my boss in New York. Uh, so that was the end of that plan. Mm. Um, the next part of the plan was that we were going to live off the rental income from our fabulous apartment in London. And that was fine. Um, until, and I, and so I was going to supplement that with some consulting work in the sports nutrition industry and, um, and and my consulting income was, uh, shall we say, erratic at best. The rental income was fine. Um, and then a little thing called Brexit came along, which was a few world crises ago that um, not many people are talking about Brexit anymore. But um, my tenant left and we couldn't find another tenant. And that was the end of my passive income that was supporting me. And then I actually needed to get a real job again, which was sort of horrifying. And Queenstown is not the easiest place to find a high paying job. No, um, right, yeah. it's, you know, there's, there, there is still plenty of low paying work, but you know, as, a, as the sole breadwinner for a family of five, a low paying job doesn't really solve the problem, does it? No. So, um, I started working in the UK again. Um, for a company called Fitness Genes, uh, and which I was an early investor in and the original chairman of the board of, um, and I was always working on this genetics business, and that was 
that was um, really fascinating, still is a fascinating business. Um, a little difficult to manage working for a UK company and needing to be on UK conference calls in the middle of the night. Yep. Um, but, you know, that, that one, I, I did that as a day-to-day thing for about three years until it just mm-hmm. became too much and then decided to just to really work locally here. Yep. And the job at the mountain scene came up and, and it's just, you know, if you're going to live here, I mean, I think, I really think I have the best job in town because, because I get to know everybody. You know, you had the mayor on. I mean, I think the only person that knows more people than me is the mayor, right? I mean, I'm out all day, every day, on the phone, in person with every type of business um, and business owner, and you get to know everybody. And if you're going to live in a small town, it's great to be at the heart of it. Yeah, definitely. It's, it's, I can see that this is a, I mean, I haven't been here very long, but I can see the, it's a small place and people mm. will you know, know each other. But obviously being in your particular role and, and dealing with the, all the different businesses that are in the area mm. and surrounding areas uh, that, that advertise, um, you know, advertising the mountain scene, maybe the Otago as well. Um, you obviously know quite a few people. So um, it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's a good way. Um, I get, I get, and you'd obviously be at a better point now where you've been here six years mm. and um, you would cer- certainly know what's going on in, in you know, pretty much everything that, you know, the mountain scene comes out on a, on, a, on a Thursday. I saw an article written today in your um, um, publication by the mayor, Jim Bolt. Was, there was a nice good article sort of backing up some of his sort of recent sentiment yeah. as far as what he thinks sort of going on. And he's, he's got a very positive spin on where things are at the moment in Queenstown compared to what the, you know, the fear monger is, the fear of what was sort of, you know, coming out of the pandemic. Um, what is your sort of, I guess, feeling on the area as a whole since you came? You obviously loved it. Um, what have you seen change in the last six years? What have been the main things that you've seen? Well, I mean, certainly that housing and traffic would have to be the two biggest things. Um, six years ago, when I moved here, um, you know, if you, Jack's Point, I was living in Jack's Point, and there were, I don't know, a hundred houses in Jack's Point. Now there's, what, a thousand houses in Jack's Point. Hanley Farms, which was, it was still a farm. It yeah. was, there was nothing there. I don't know how many, hundreds of houses are in there now. Yeah. Um, there was, the, the bridge was still a one-lane bridge. I remember it was a one-lane bridge. Yeah, it was a, yeah, that was a one-lane bridge. So, that, I mean, just on that side of town, there's been huge developments. You cross over the one-lane bridge, um, and Frankton, I mean, the, the, the Remarkables Primary School didn't even have, um, you know, it wasn't, wasn't completely full at that point. Um, none of that stuff in the Frankton Flats was there. Yeah. Right, it was just that was also a farm. Right, there was nothing there. You know, now there's however many tens of thousands of square meters of retail space, and then Shot Over Country was also a farm. I mean, that was you know how many houses are in there? There's another thousand, two thousand houses in there. I mean, it's all new. So that whole thing is is new. Um, yeah, and, and I mean, when I there was. Zero traffic when I got here to the point that I was so excited. Actually, I got I made the mistake of being on um, the Franklin Road um, 
at about five o'clock and I got stuck in traffic. I was so excited. I called my wife. I'm like, I'm actually stuck in traffic because I mean, it was such a, you know, I was so used to just driving, you know, sailing yeah. through. I'm from New York and London, right? Yeah, yeah. And, and just, you, yeah, you, yeah. traffic is a part of life. And I, here yeah. it's like, ah, you know, you just get in the car and you drive. And when I, my first traffic jam, I was actually excited about it because it sort of felt like home. Yeah. And uh, the novelty of that quickly wore off. Because, of, of course, the problem here is that, you know, you have one road, yeah. right? And if there's traffic on it, you're not going anywhere. Well, at least in New York or, or in London, there's a, mm. you know, more than one way to get from point A to point well, B. What, what I do like, what I sort of do like about where, we, where I'm living here in Arthur's Point is there's a back road yeah. that goes around to the back of Frankton that way. Mm. So if I, if I think it's going to be any smidgen, if it's going to be any problem of traffic and I want to get to that part, Mm. I want to get to Kmart or I want to get to any of those places. What I like about living here is, you know, talking yeah. about the back way. Yeah. Um, if I go that way, it's going to be, you know, 13, 40 minutes if there's no traffic. So, yeah. So, but um, with the, you know, obviously the tourist numbers at the moment, the traffic sort of come, come back down a bit, I would say, um, mm. you know, over the last six months here from, you know, all intensive purposes. Um, they're a great place to live, but I think one thing that that um, you know, correct me on this, but I think just the people here make, you know, the people that sort of make the area up. Everyone seems really friendly for the most part. Absolutely, I mean the people here I think are incredible, and and again with a with a New York and London background where people go to New York and London. I mean, sure they want to live there, but but largely because they have to live there for their for their work, right? And New York is. By, by definition, aggressive and angry. Um, and London, because the English are a little bit more polite, uh, London is, is aggressive and polite. And, and you know, so, so the, the pace of life in those places is so much faster than it is here. And nobody needs to live in Queenstown. People move to Queenstown for a story like mine or a story like yours. You move here because you're like, wow, this is, this is awesome. I want to be here. And you wake up and you look out your window and no matter where your window is, and it's awesome here. It's complete, you know, and so it's difficult to be in a bad mood. And, and you're, you, so you're surrounded by a bunch of people who want to be here, who embrace the, the lifestyle. And, and because everybody's generally happy, everybody's in a good mood. And it's just, it's a really nice place to be. And uh, it's challenging to earn a living, but it's a you know it's a it's a fabulous lifestyle if you could figure out a way to pay for it. And um, the people make it all the more um, it, it, the people make it incredibly special, right? Um, friendly, inviting, welcoming. Um, it. We had my daughter when she had her first sleepover. We were here a week. Mm. In London, you, it would take you like six months to organize a sleepover because everybody's going someplace else in here. You know, like, oh, kids are just showing up at your house. And you'd never have that in, in, a, in a big city. And it's just so nice and normal, you know, mm. the type of normal that you wouldn't get in a big city. I don't even know if you'd get that in Auckland. Mm. No, Auckland, I mean, Auckland's got bad traffic compared to any, everywhere in Australia bar Sydney, maybe. It's, mm. it's, traffic's a lot worse than Brisbane. But Auckland, yeah, just yeah, it's it's a lot different there than it is anywhere else in New Zealand, mm. I think. Um, so I guess going back to where what what the sort of business is sort of doing uh, here in this part of the in in, in Queenstown Lakes area, 
um, how, how have you sort of, I guess, how are sort of businesses um, that have been advertising in, in the mountain scene and that's that sort of thing, you, you obviously, I mean, I've, I've, been, I've actually been reading the magazine for a, a couple of years, even since I moved here, mm. and... Um, it's it's good that the there's a lot there's a lot of local businesses that support the magazine on a regular basis. They're regularly advertising. Um, how do you, I guess what are the secrets to be able to, to keep those 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 customers so loyal and, and and wanting to spend the dollar and making sure that they get get uh, the bang for the buck of advertising in in the, the local you know the local rag. Yeah, that's an excellent question, and so so. You know, number one, I think businesses advertise every week because it works for them, mm. right? I mean, you try to have a you try to have a good relationship with all your customers. Customer service is key, and what does that mean? I mean, every Thursday, I drive around and I deliver newspapers to maybe not every advertiser, but most of the most of the advertisers, certainly the big ones, or if they've changed their ad um, and they want to see the new creative. I mean, I'm I'm there. I drop off the newspapers, you know, say hi and have a little chat and so customer service is, is a is a big is a big thing but apart from that you know they're not going to spend their hard-earned money with me just because I show up and give them a give them a newspaper we've got you know we have to make the, the readers um, and thank you to everybody that reads the mountain scene and buys stuff from our advertisers um, but you know they have to buy stuff from those advertisers whether it's whether it's curtains or a car or a bicycle and and you know we we reach the newspapers tend to reach an older uh, market, and which is, uh, you know, I'm unapologetic about being an older market because that's where the money is. You know, the the retirement the retirement villages in town are where the money is. The homeowners in town are where the money is. And as much as the town needs, you know, migrant workers to work in the hotels, and but that's not where the money is in, in terms of consumer spending. It might be the, for a certain segment, but you know, our advertisers are cars. Real estate agents, um, uh, furniture, home decorating. I mean, you need to own a home and own a car, for, and that's and so 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 those so those advertisers for us are obviously selling homes and selling cars and selling curtains and selling sofas and outdoor furniture and barbecues. Otherwise, it wouldn't be advertising. As much as they like having a chat with me, they you know our readers are buying stuff from them. Yeah, no, that's great. Yeah, it's so. so um, what, what do you think the future holds for this? Low? I mean, it's very hard to predict the future after what we've seen in the mm. pandemic. Um, what do you think the future holds for for Queenstown? Do you think um, it's it's always hard to, it, as I said, hard to predict? But I, I think it will continue to grow and flourish. What do you think? Absolutely. I mean, I think. <laughs> Look, this place is too beautiful for people not to want to continue to come here. Yeah. And I, I think certainly the town needs to diversify from just being a one-trip yeah. pony on, on tourism, um, particularly the type of tourism that it had evolved into. And I think that, I mean, I personally, based on my, my own opinion and from what I'm hearing from a lot of other locals, is that if the local, for the subset of, of this town that has not gone broke, right, and there certainly have been a lot of people that have, you know, that have gone broke and have left because the, you know, they had a tourism business and it's gone, right? Or they had a restaurant and it's gone. But for the people that have survived, right, everybody seems to be pretty happy, you know, where, you know, now there's no traffic again. 
You can find a place to park. It's easy to get from point A to point B. Pollution levels are down. You can get a seat at a restaurant. People, locals are coming back into town now. You know, nobody was, locals were not coming into town before because it was all tourism, tourism mm-hmm. right? We're all tourists, right? Yeah. And so I think that this has been quite a pleasant reset. And so I think for the, you know, the subset of people who still do have money, they're actually quite enjoying the the sl- the slowdown or the reset or the the recalibration of who of who's coming to who's coming to Queenstown and um, so I'm certainly very optimistic for the future and and this you know this is too nice a place for people not to want to come and spend their time and and I I think that. Um, I think ultimately we are going to lose a lot of businesses here because we don't we just don't have the mass to support you know without mass tourism do we need 15 pizza places 20 burger places 30 Chinese restaurants you know whatever the numbers are right so you know it'll it, it will it will recalibrate but um, do you think um, the idea of what, what people have been reading over the last six months is a technology hub uh, or being Queenstown being a technology, like a, a small Silicon Valley type thing. What, what do you think of that as an idea that people are sort of been talking about? I think that that's a great idea. Um, I think it's a great idea. And having um, worked remotely from here for six years, uh, or for four out of the six years that I've been here, um, for a while, my fitness genes, the guy that I was mainly working with, he was in California. And from here to California, it's largely the same workday, right? It's largely the same workday, so it's an easy virtual commute, right? So if you're, if you're technologically connected to California, because I mean, that's where the main tech business is, this is an easy, this, that's a no-brainer. Like if you, if, you're, if you were working for a San Francisco-based company, you could easily work in Queenstown or anywhere in New Zealand. Okay. If, you're, if you're working for a, um, a British-based technology company, there's no way you could work from Queenstown. If you're working for a New York-based technology company, it'd be very difficult to work from so Queenstown. So just a few hours makes a difference, doesn't it? It does. I mean, but, but if you're working with it for, for California or West Coast of the U.S. business, this is easy. And I could totally see that happening. Now, the, of course, the challenge is you say, okay, well, um, can you convince your boss in San Francisco to open up an office in New Zealand, mm. anywhere in New Zealand? Yeah. Right? And that's a that's a big question because you know a lot of depends who the who the company is right. A lot of times companies want all their employees to be on a campus. You know it's very much a California thing. You know you're on the Apple campus or the Google camp, campus or whatever, right? Will they move the campus down here? I don't know. And and you know you also don't have necessarily have the other in infrastructure or ecosystem sort of things that make those tech hubs thrive, right? It's like any industry. The car industry in Detroit in the United States or in, 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 um, in parts of Germany, um, you, have, you have your factories and then you have all your parts suppliers, right? I mean, you need the whole food chain there. Mm. So it's, I think it's a good idea and, and, it, and it should be worked on. Um, and and I, I, you know, I would, 
encourage all these California companies to come down, right? Mm. I think it's got a lot of merit. Yeah, and I think you've got a lot of experience, and you speak from experience when you say what would work and what wouldn't work, so that's um, mm. that's very, very interesting. I think we might have to finish up pretty soon, sure. I think, but uh, it's been quite good. I think we've been chatting over for 40 minutes, believe it or not, but... Um, I guess anything sort of final uh, that you wanted to sort of bring up today with what you do or different hobbies that you're into or um, something that you'd like to achieve on, on your bucket list that you haven't or anything to sort of finish up with here? Uh, I mean, I, I, I suppose I, you know, on a personal level, I, um, I mean, I, I love living in Queenstown for a lot of the reasons we discussed and I, and I think that um, I'm, I'm very happy and fortunate to be in this environment surrounded by terrific people and I have I have an excellent job that I really enjoy and and I'm just very grateful for all the you know local support that I've gotten here personally and professionally it's made you know when we moved here I moved three kids took three kids out of school we moved clear across the planet it was a big move physically emotionally and it was made easy because of the because of the people here and the ta- and, and the welcoming spirit of the town and so I'm um, you know I'm I'm eternally grateful to the you know to, to the town for making for enabling my family and me to settle here and, and make make a huge transition easy. No, that's, that's excellent. It's a good sort of way to, to finish up. Thank you very much for being one of my early guests on this podcast. I'm hoping to to find out about you know everybody's stories and uh, you know they can share amongst them all their uh, network and friends and uh, people even back home in Brisbane uh, will, will listen to to this and find out a bit a bit, a bit about what's going on here on the ground in in uh, Queenstown. It's it's just a lovely day outside. Look at the per- perfect no 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 cloud cover today, which is I don't know if that's rare, but I've seen it a few times. So yeah. It's um, thank you very much, Martin. It's been a pleasure to have you on the podcast. We'll get this uploaded later on this tonight, and uh, all the best. And we'll catch up very soon, my friend. Excellent. Thank you, sir. Thank you very, thank you very for much. having me. No, no problem whatsoever.